Another book published revealing the trauma, the oppression, and the abuse in Mormon polygamy, we're going to discuss next on Polygamy, What Love Is This? Rebecca Kimball is an escapee from a polygamy group with deep Mormon roots and is a survivor of their terrible, abusive, and violent treatment. Rebecca has been interviewed by several different programs. She's hosted her own videos and her own YouTube segment. She's been interviewed by our program, and she's on our DVD and tells a tragic story of her life in polygamy. Rebecca's recently written her own story and published a book entitled Born in Polygamy, A True Life Crime Autobiography. <laughs> a true crime biography. And, and like so many women who were born and raised under the ruling and powerful uh, dictatorship of patriarchal Mormon polygamy, she now tells her story with passion. And her life's purpose is to inform the passive public of this oppression of women and children and to make a difference anywhere that she can. So in a two-part series, we're going to highlight her book and quote passages and inform our viewers that Mormon polygamy is not holy and righteous. It is not safe for women and children. It is not a genuine choice that females can make because they do not know all the facts. She gives examples that a choice between becoming a polygamy wife or being owned by the devil is hardly a true choice. <laughs> First, we want to quote from the introduction page. I was born a slave, sold as a slave, and bred as a slave in the United States of America. <clears throat> My life is not unique. There are literally thousands of us. In the name of freedom of religion, our only choice is obey or be destroyed. Blind obedience is required to save us from eternal damnation, and if we don't comply, then our only redemption is blood atonement, which means to be killed, to save our evil souls. Murder, theft, child molest, and other crimes flourish among our holy people. The constitu constitutional rights of the victims remain non-existent. American courts continue to uphold the rights of the perpetrators as it is all done in the name of freedom of religion. When the public hears women advocating polygamy, they appear to be entirely unaware that they are witnessing an increasing national epidemic of Stockholm Syndrome. Even women in a concentration camp won't testify against the guards, while the guards still have their children and she cannot escape their control. This is from her book. This is from her book. Perhaps some of our polygamous viewers are not aware of what the Stockholm Syndrome no, actually is. It's a condition where a captive or a hostage or a victim has developed emotional feelings uh, toward her and will defend or or refuse to accuse her captor. No, and and this is even more critical when the victim abusers are uh, are a family who actually threaten them with God's wrath if they dare tell anyone what's going on. The victim dares not be responsible for telling because if the family member is arrested or gets into trouble, then it's all her fault. Mm. Rebecca's book, and here's the book right here, is 101 chapters. Wow. And it's almost two inches thick. I don't know if you can see that on the screen, but it's a big, big book. Um, Beautiful, uh, uh, nice a sample of the titles 
Uh, now there's 101 chapters, and I want to give you a sample of the chapter titles. Obey or be destroyed, groomed for marriage, damned, polygamy or prostitution, daughters for sale, blood atonement, how the FLDS fleeces its sheep. You know, that's only a few chapter titles, but it gives you an idea of the information that she's sharing with those who care to know uh, what experiences women have as they are raised up in polygamy. She's provided a lot of information for those who want the truth about Mormon fundamental polygamy groups. This is a go-to for that information. Chapter 1 is entitled, Polygamy, Where Freedom of Choice Means Obey or Be Destroyed. As she begins her story, Rebecca tells that her grandfather gave two of his daughters to her father, and this made her mother the second wife <laughs> of her own brother-in-law. Now, this I can is, imagine these family trees <laughs> in polygamy are crazy. I, I saw a picture where somebody put that and it was one of those bramble bushes, you yeah. know, which, you know, just every which way. But that's what happens when sisters marry the same man. Rebecca's father was the third generational polygamist in his family. His father had constantly preached that children born in polygamy were God's chosen and choicest people on earth. Mm. And that idea greatly elevated his, her father's opinion of himself. And this is true of many polygamists. They believe they are superior to other people, that God loves the polygamists far and above the rest of the people on the planet. And in my own experience, although they taught polygamists are God's specially loved people, they also warn that those who reject polygamy are God's most hated people. Hmm. So we get both, yeah. both examples there. But here's an example of some of what Rebecca's father taught regarding females. Women are inferior beings. Women are cursed by God. Women are created to serve men. Women are required to give all their mental and physical loyalty to their husband only. And a woman's only purpose is to obey her husband and add children to his kingdom. Now notice, wow. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's something if you're a female raised in one of these groups. Note number five is that it's her husband's kingdom, sure. his kingdom. Yeah. Uh, I believe the Bible says that all the kingdoms will be given to Christ, you know, and then, of course, it becomes God's kingdom. But in the FLDS, all children belong to the priesthood. No mother can expect to claim her own children. That's why they keep and, the children if the woman leaves. I was going to say that women knows, knew, know that when they think about leaving, they know that they're taking yes. a chance of abandoning yes, or leaving their absolutely. children. Absolutely, and that's what keeps a lot of them in. Wow. Rebecca's father taught that if a man attended to or was sensitive to a woman's needs, he was weak because a real man ruled by fear and force. The priesthood that polygamists claim to hold, and of course this includes every polygamy group, they believe that, that they have power and authority over all women. All the males have power and authority over all females. No female can question priesthood authority, makes no difference who that female is. About her own mother, Rebecca writes this from page two. Mom never wore makeup. She was born to my grandfather's plural wife, and polygamy was all she ever knew. She and all fundamentalist polygamous children were taught from birth that she must live polygamy to assure her eternal salvation in heaven. Refusing to accept polygamy would result in her eternal damnation, a sin so horrible the only way she could be redeemed from it and save her soul was by blood atonement. 
Blood atonement is a ritualistic murder which requires required one's throat to be slit from ear to ear so their blood could ascend to heaven and atone for their sins. What a threat. Not a threat. Well, they did that in the Mormon temple ceremony. They, oh, they practiced we, the... Until 1990, uh -huh. we, we did that. They did. Rebecca's father sired many children from his wives. And like most polygamy groups, the mother gives birth to her children at home. They have little or no medical help during pregnancy or childbirth. And most plural wives will assist each other during childbirth. Uh -huh. She also talks about birth certificates, that many children never receive a birth certificate, and if they did get one, it was falsified. That happened in, in the group I was raised in as well. The women are taught never to say who their husband is to anyone outside of their community, so it can't be on the birth certificate. Wow. The children aren't allowed to say who their father is, and this also parallels my experience in the Kingston group. Then Rebecca writes this on page three. This is done to protect polygamous men from being held financially or legally responsible for their offspring. As legally single moms, plural wives are eligible for government funds, aid for dependent children, and such, and this is the financial base most polygamous men rely on. Polygamists are rich groups. Most of them are very rich groups, and some of their riches come from the money they get from the government for all of their children and the food stamps. What, I know you've got a little phrase that you use or I've heard before, bleeding. Bleeding the beast. <laughs> yeah. The beast being the government. The government. Mm -hmm. That's true and that's their, that's their, that's model, their model, every one of them. Mm -hmm. Wow. Now as it's true in most polygamous marriages, Rebecca's father had a favorite wife and her name was Queenie. I think that's kind of a, apropos. Yeah. She had more privileges and she took advantage of the other wives to the point that they actually were her servants. She was abusive to the children of the other wives and he did not step in or try to make things more equitable and peaceful. But when the time came for him to take another wife, no one knew about it until the two of them were caught together. <laughs> From page five we read, Mom didn't know Dad had a fourth wife until she entered her bedroom and saw 14-year-old Rachel Jessup and Dad sexually engaged in Mom's bed. Rachel was a frightened, unwilling, but submissive participant. She was afraid of Dad, her round cheeks, thick brown pigtails, and small size attested to her immaturity and her innocence. Rachel Jessup's father was Rich Jessup, a polygamous leader in Short Creek. Rachel's father had given her to dad to strengthen priesthood bonds between them. Rachel never met dad until she was given to him as a plural wife. Her only choice was to obey God's commandments or face eternal damnation or blood atonement, the final hope for salvation. And there's the threat that puts people in polygamy. They don't dare not do it. And of course, different polygamy groups may have different ways of doing things, even a few doctrinal differences. But the one thing they all have in common is obey God's command of polygamy or be damned. Be damned. No other. No other. Oh, boy. Chapter 2 is entitled Sex Trafficking for God. <laughs> Obviously, this chapter deals with polygamous sexual trafficking activities. She writes that in 1944, 15 men were arrested from polygamy groups and charged with the Mann Act, which includes sex with a minor, 
kidnapping, uh, trafficking children across borders for sexual purposes, and so on. She said the news articles conveniently left out the details and reported only that these 15 men were charged with unlawful cohabitation. So the readers assumed it was merely about polygamy and Ooh. nothing more, sex wow. trafficking wasn't involved. And of this course, this remains a problem with many news reports today. The facts are not completely yeah. or clearly reported. So and as it turned out, religious persecution appeared to be the problem rather than the trafficking of young girls for sexual purposes. We quote from page 8. In the polygamous community, the claims of religious persecution were echoed by every man, woman, and child who expected to have a place in God's eternal heaven. Salt Lake City, Utah became the focus of polygamy. Several polygamist inmates became more public about their alleged sacred power. Each one claimed to have been ordained into powerful positions by holy men of God. All these prisoners were charged with sex crimes, yet all of these men claimed their actions were a result of their religious beliefs. Isn't that awful? And freedom of religion. Yeah. <laughs> One of the indictments was against the man who would later become her father-in-law. Oh but she said the indictments of these 15 men were all variations of the same story. One defendant assisted in transporting a 14-year-old girl from Provo, Utah to El Paso, Texas, mm. and then to Arizona for sexual purposes. The man involved said this was in the name of freedom of religion. The court found all 15 men guilty. She said they were also transporting young girls out of the country into Mexico to become plural wives. By the way, that still happens today. If you buy the book, which we heartily recommend you do, you can find on page 9 the case numbers, the dates, and all of the detailed information so that you can look up the details for yourself in each one of these cases of these arrests of these 15 men. It seems like little has changed since their arrest in 1944. <coughs> uh, Winston Blackmore and Warren Jeffs and others continue to transport young girls beyond state lines and beyond international borders to and from the United States, Canada, or Mexico for sexual purposes because they claim God has commanded it. Rebecca's father was one of those 15 men arrested. They were all sentenced up to five years in prison, but after seven months, nine of them were set free because they signed an oath never to advocate or teach or countenance polygamy again. <coughs> the six men who were not released refused to compromise their beliefs by signing the oath, and so they remained in prison. Her dad, however loyal he may have pretended to be by refusing to sign the oath, certainly compromised his integrity in a different way, as Rebecca accounts how he did get out. Yeah, from page 12. Dad served two years, one month, and 11 days in prison. During that time, his former child bride, Rachel Jessup, had escaped with her five children and went to stay with her non-polygamist aunt and uncle. So she got away yeah. with her five kids. But non, not long after he, she, he was imprisoned, Rachel was killed in an airplane crash, and that left her five um, children without their parents. Sad. Although the aunt and uncle that she had gone to stay with fought to gain custody of the kids, Rebecca's father fought harder and with less integrity to get them. He even met with Utah's governor, and it went like this. <laughs> it is, again, <laughs> continues on page 12 and 13. 
Dad made the following courtroom statement to the governor of Utah. I have 27 children to support when I get out of here, and if I support 27 children, I'll have a pretty big job. Now it says in the Bible, he who does not support his family is worse than an infidel and has already denied the faith. If I brought more children into this world than I can provide for, I'd be committing a sin, wouldn't I, Governor? The governor, influenced by dad's served prison time and his scripture quoting, assumed dad was a sincere and religious man. He obviously didn't know that dad had never supported his illegitimate children. They were all supported by government tax dollars. The number of children my father would eventually have have had only just begun. The governor in good faith replied, well, that's all I wanted to know. And with that, he granted dad his freedom. <laughs> Lying for the Lord <laughs> is a, a primary polygamous pastime. Hmm. And he was impressed with his quoting scriptures, but you know what? The devil can, can quote, quote the scripture. Rebecca goes into detail describing that either by marriage or by blood, she is related to people from almost every single Utah polygamy group. Of course, this intermarrying, the tree yeah. you're talking about there. She talks about Rulin Allred, who was the leader of the Allred polygamy group, and her mother's brother, by the way. Oh my. It's also called the Apostolic United Brethren, Brethren the AUB. Uh, the Allred group became the second largest Mormon fundamentalist polygamy group. We quote from page 10. Uncle Rulin continued to grow his church. He obtained the greatest number of followers by converting members of the Latter-day Saints, the LDS Church. As is common in polygamy, he used bribery. He would give men young girls as wives in exchange for membership. Hmm, enticing, huh? Mm. Once a man joined the church, it was expected that they would be forever loyal to its leader, Rulon. Rulon or Rulon, I guess. Mm. Loyalty meant paying tithing and obediently following demands of the church. Mm. Okay, <laughs> so there you go. Yep. Yeah, I've, I've heard it pronounced either way, Rulon, Rulon or Rulon. Yeah, I have too. Now, the larger the polygamous families are, of course, the more powerful each polygamy group comes uh, or becomes. Rebecca writes... Uh, that women and children are the wealth of polygamy. Plural wives claim they're unwed mothers and receive aid for dependent children as unwed mothers. Female children become brides who are given away to bring in new converts or to confirm business associations. They produce more children, which increases the size of the polygamous families, and in turn this produces more young girls for trade. She states that, quote, the promise of a child bride draws many men into polygamy. Mm. What's the sexual attraction for a man to have a, a child bride? I do not get it. But she tells of how Rulin Allred planned the future of child brides and how he manipulated polygamous families to maintain his power and control. Yeah, from page 25. Mom had six children. Rulin wasn't going to miss the opportunity to use them to increase his power and money. Dad wanted to keep his control for the same reasons. Yet neither Dad nor Rulin personally inconvenienced themselves to do anything beyond preach, condemn, and threaten as a means to keep that control. Rulin kept still planned to place Mom's daughters in marriage. He planned to give them to men who would become converts to his own polygamous group. Though mom's daughters were still very young, Rulin made, was making plans to have them seen and recognized in his group meetings. 
So already <laughs> these girls are becoming grooming, commodity. Grooming who, for marriage. Who's going to get who? Yeah. And who's going to going to uh, going to get to well in favors i'm sure you do i'll do this for you you do this for me kind yeah, of stuff yeah. a lot they, of that they still do that yeah, yeah. they still do that in, yeah. in the group they won't admit it but they do <laughs> uh rebecca talks about how preaching by the priesthood was loud and dramatic and reminded everyone that the men of the priesthood were doing god's work and they must be obeyed they claim that through their priesthood, they hold the power of God, that they have the power of eternal life, eternal destruction, and of who will be resurrected. Hmm. And all of this is, is so blasphemous. You know, I shudder to think of their shock when they face oh. God on Judgment Day. <laughs> they find out they don't have all that power. Jesus said, all power has been given to him. And God says he will not be mocked. In Isaiah, he says, 42.8, he warns that he will not give his glory to someone else. Rulin Allred taught that dark-skinned races all become white and delightsome people only by living plural marriage and bowing to the God-giving royal blood of the polygamous priesthood. Do you Ooh. see all the arrogance in this oh, and all the exaltation, terrible. the self-aggrandizement they're doing? <laughs> well, it sounds very Book of Mormon, too, you know, the white and delightsome mm -hmm. people. If you follow the faith, you become white That's and delightsome. That's right, and they read the Book of Mormon just like the LDS yep. do. Yep. Rulin often exhorted them to never forget that God had chosen them to do His work, special people. And then on page 27, at six years old, Rebecca remembers this incident. Just six years old. Yeah. I struggled with identification. Was I royal blood? And if I was, why did the lady who stopped to ask for directions refer to me as poor white trash? Mm. I struggled hunting for meaning and knowledge. Mama always said that Lord chastises those he loves. I was afraid if God loved us anymore, I wasn't sure we'd be able to stand it. <laughs> that Sunday, I learned that my nine-year-old cousin had been chosen by God to be married to a 60-year-old righteous man in Short Creek. He would raise up her up to be the kind of wife that is desirable and wanted in the gospel of plural marriage. You know, this... this it's just, it's just awful cousin. to go through this. Yeah, nine years old. And the lectures that she's talking about, I remember those lectures from my folks. And and the the threats of an angry God for being sinners, and for if we disobeyed or didn't didn't obey with joy, you know, we couldn't just we couldn't obey with a bad attitude. We had to obey with joy, or God would get us. Just curious, when would these conversations come up? Would they be something they would do on a Sunday, or? If some one of you children had a question or was saying, well, what if we, could we ever leave? What would, what would prompt these lectures of the, they, powerful about lectures? About anything could prompt them, really. Uh, we, had, we had Monday home evening, and we would get some of the lectures then. Okay. Uh, if we were caught doing a stupid sin, a lie, or something like that, we would be lectured. They, they would rehearse and the you whole. tried really hard not to get caught because you knew a lecture was coming if you did. <laughs> And okay. and uh, at church, church meetings and questions, yeah, anything could trigger one trigger of these one lectures. Of these. And the direction it would go depending on what triggered that oh. particular lecture. Yeah. My lectures came mostly from my mother because my dad was hardly ever there. 
And you were always wrong, I guess. Oh, of or... course. <laughs> of course. <laughs> Um, they, yeah. they would teach the joys of obedience and the rewards that God had in heaven for us for yeah. suffering like we were doing here and, and the poverty and all that. And, and they would teach about the joys of and the looking forward to the idea of becoming a God in eternity, giving birth to babies forever. Um, I was blessed to be a mother in Israel with thousands of kids. And, of course, I... <laughs> That didn't happen, <laughs> and and now and 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 to be able to not fall for the temptations of the devil, you know, and and not falling or, or following other people, outsiders oh, they yeah, called yeah. them, people that weren't in the group, yeah. and to be sure and remain secretive to everything, and, and they were all brainwashing sessions. In the end, that's all they were was sure. brainwashing sessions. Uh, it was important to hand over to them all of our money. If we found a penny on the ground, we gave it to the group so that God's kingdom uh, would be built up. Uh, people were and are doctrinated with these ideas, and, and they believe them. They follow them. They yeah. don't know anything else, and they have powerfully destructive guilt trips if they fail on any single point at any time. Until, until Jesus got a hold of my life, I lived in, in continuing perpetual guilt trips of one kind or another because of it. It followed me that long into my adulthood. And that was like 20 years or so, wasn't 25 it? 25 years. Wow, powerful. Yeah, very powerful. Even though you're very powerful. And destructive. Yeah. They are destructive guilt trips. Now, to imagine now that God's kingdom could possibly remotely depend upon a man having multiple sex partners <laughs> is beyond my meager imagination, but people believe it. It was Jesus who came and died on the cross for our sins. And it is Jesus who is the Savior, not the polygamy group, not Mormonism, not the practice of polygamy or celestial marriage. We have a couple of quotes as we close this one up. These are from Galatians chapter 5, verses 1 and 4. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. You are... You who are trying to be justified by law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. Let that verse sink in. Yeah. If you're trying to be right before God. Justified by the law. Justified by living the law, religious law. You've fallen away from grace. And why would you want to do that since we are saved by grace? Why would you, why would you risk falling away from it? It's just a question that I give to polygamists who think plural marriage is the answer, and it's not. It's Jesus, only Jesus. Wow. So part two will be next time. Thank you, Earl. You bet. Thank you so much. You know, someone said, when we argue with the Bible, it only shows we don't understand our sinful selves or God's grace. And that's so true. It was certainly true in my experience until God saved me by his grace. In fact, God says that our minds are blinded by the devil so that we cannot see the truth in the face of Jesus Christ. But it also reminds us that when anyone turns to Christ, the veil of blindness is removed. We must turn to Jesus for redemption, for eternal life, for forgiveness, and also for understanding of what is written in his word. Jesus is called the word of God. Obviously, we need him to unfold his word for us. Try him. You'll never regret it. Thank you for watching. This has been the audio podcast of Polygamy, What Love Is This? with host Doris Hansen. Polygamy, What Love Is This? is produced by A Shield and Refuge Ministry. 
More information on this program, including the video version of it, can be found at whatloveisthis.tv. If you have any questions or need help getting free from Mormon fundamentalism, write us at contact at shieldandrefuge.org or call us at 1-800-877-425-9993.